All right. Well, welcome, everybody. You're welcome to grab a seat. And if you are a child, a lovely child that uh, needs to go downstairs, you are welcome to do that now as well. Uh, well, good morning. My name is Prentice. For those of you that I uh, have yet to meet, I feel like this is really hot right now. Is that true? Okay. Uh, but as we figure that out, that's okay. Uh, we are continuing this series uh, on Jonah. Not even continuing, we're starting it. Uh, and, and it's funny because I, I said last week in this sermon that uh, Jonah is one of my favorite books of all the Bible. Uh, and Maria asked me, you said that last week, was that true? Like, as if I would lie to you guys, I know that pastors have this reputation of perhaps embellishing stories, uh, but today I tell you Jonah is uh, one of my favorite books uh, of all the, uh, particularly the Old Testament uh, and of the Bible, and, and hopefully you'll see and resonate with why. Uh, so just a couple things on the docket here is uh, August 17th, we will be having an all-serve uh, extravaganza with several other churches uh, in West Seattle, uh, and we will be serving Highland Park Elementary, which is literally a block from us. Uh, and so more, all the information, well, there will be more to come, but there's information in your bulletin, there's information in your uh, e-news. If you're not a part of that, please fill out a Connect card and we'll get you on there. Uh, and then on the day after, August 18th, after service, we will head to a restaurant nearby, uh, owned by one of our members here, uh, called Anju. It's delicious. It's great. There's an outdoor patio. It's just really fun. Uh, and so we ask you to participate in that, to hang out, just to celebrate all that God has done in and through you uh, as, uh, as a church. And so uh, with that said, let me pray and we'll get started. God, thank you so much for the ways that you have just been in our lives, whether we know it or not. Uh, and oftentimes we'll see in the story that we unpack that oftentimes we are so tempted to just run and run and run away from you. And, and God, we thank you for your forgiveness, your compassion. And God, teach us what it looks like to be obedient and faithful, knowing that that's what brings life and life to its fullest. We thank you in your name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, so today, you could either go to your Bible. Uh, there might be a Bible in front of you unless someone has taken that uh, home, which is also a great thing. Uh, or you can look on the screen with, with me. Uh, people have asked me what translation I use. And just, just so you know that it might be different because a lot of you guys use the NIV, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. Use it. Uh, I particularly prefer the NRSV. And so if you read along and it's not exact to your NIV, I'm sorry. But hope you get uh, the heart of what God is saying here. It says, now the word of the Lord came <clears throat> to Jonah. Son of Amittai, saying, go at once to Nineveh, the, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord." This is the word of the Lord this morning. Well, I don't know about you, but for the last several years, uh, 
there's been new trends of these mantras and sayings uh, that we just gravitate to. And, and, and you don't have to say it out loud, you don't have to raise your hand, but you probably have heard uh, or have said certain mantras to yourself in order to perhaps encourage yourself, in order to get through a tough situation, in order to stay positive. And, and I think that's all wonderful. I think we should all latch on uh, to things that just bring us positivity. But I would say in the last you know, several months, here's a, say, a, a great saying that I have heard time and time again, uh, and, it's, and it's this. The, the word of the Lord is also really good, uh, but if I can just get this to move, follow your, raise your hand if you've ever heard this saying, follow your hearts. In fact, many of us have probably said this to yourself or to others, just follow your heart. Whenever you're in a, in a tough situation, follow your heart. Whenever you're in a bind, follow your heart. Whenever there are options presented to you, uh, the response oftentimes today is follow your heart. And, and I would say this is great advice. Who doesn't want to just follow their heart? This is great. Don't you love this? But I would say that I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but follow your heart, is a, it's nice, it sounds great, but often it's some of the worst advice you'll ever hear in your life. Because typically, whether we want to say this or not, the idea of follow your heart is just another way of saying, do what feels good to you. Do what feels good to you. Take the path of least resistance. And often what we see is that when we say follow your heart, when we believe and say to ourselves, just follow my heart when it comes to these situations or these options or these choices, what we're doing is not, it's not that we're actually pursuing our heart. It's not that we're actually pursuing what our heart actually longs for, we're actually running away from what our heart actually needs. We may not put that in, that, in those exact words, but uh, the idea of follow your heart and other mantras like this, we may, not, we may not say this out loud, but ultimately what we're doing is, yes, do what feels good to you, but ultimately what that equates to oftentimes is we're running away from the very things that we need. It, justifying it by saying is the very thing that our heart longs for. And, and, and many times that may be true. Many times we may be following our heart and, and following what our heart longs for. But the other side is that at the expense of leaving and running away from what our heart actually needs. We've all done this. I've done this. And the sad reality is, as we followed our hearts, we've only experienced and been led to addiction, toxic relationships, financial mess, painful experiences, depression, anxiety, you name it. I mean, have you ever ran from something you knew you needed to do? Have you ever ran from something that you knew that your heart needed, not just longed for, not just wanted, but something that you knew that your heart, your life, your body, your mind needed. Have you ever ran from doing the simple right thing? Maybe not so simple at the time. Have you ever ran from things that actually give you life? 
Have you ran, and, and we're gonna talk about this, have we ever ran from God? Have we ever ran away knowing that God is speaking to us? And for those of you that are new or maybe not uh, uh, new to faith or not, not even part of faith, uh, we really believe that God speaks to us. We really believe that God transforms our lives and wants to mold us and shape us and, and direct us. And in light of our covenant with God, we are to be obedient, we are to be faithful and listen. And so with that said, have you ever done that and not only just not do it, but ran the other way? I love the story of Jonah because the thing that highlights Jonah's attitude is not just that Jonah said no. God didn't say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. It's not like Jonah was like, eh, no thank you, not today. Jonah actually ran to the opposite side of civilization, of the ancient Near Eastern civilization. He ran away. And the question is, have you ever heard or felt the Holy Spirit just tugging at your heart to do, to say, to intervene? And yet, we didn't just not do it. We ran away. And the question that we need to wrestle with is what does it look like to to be obedient, to be faithful, to be shaped by God in order for us to to not be ran by fear, not be ran by discomfort, not not run away from all these things, but to really run towards what God has called us to do. In essence, in a nutshell, this is a definition of what we would call in the church spiritual formation. Have we been formed spiritually? And, I, and I've been reading this book. This is actually, I'm not even done with it yet, but I, I've been loving this book by Robert Mulholland. It's called The Invitation to a Journey. Invitation to a Journey. Uh, and it's all about spiritual formation. And, and, and I love this quote. Says, he, he defines it and says, the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. This is the definition of spiritual formation according to Mulholland. And, and, and I love this because the question is, are we being formed in the image of Christ? Are we pursuing and being faithful and listening faithfully to what Christ has called us to do? And if so, we are being formed spiritually. We're being formed in and through the Holy Spirit. And the more that we are formed in our faith and our spirit, the more we are inclined to listen and hear clearly and to do what God calls us and asks us to do. But many of us, instead of this, we run. We hide. Because the reality is to listen, to be obedient, to do what God is actually calling us to do, it could be difficult. It's actually more demanding. It's easier to run. I mean, think about your life problems. Think about your personality, and maybe I'm projecting myself, uh, but there's this, there's this book called Attached. And I highly recommend this. It's not a Christian book, so I'm sorry. Don't send me nasty emails. I'm recommending a, a, not a religious Christian book. But there's this book called Attached, uh, and it's just about, our, it's about attachment theory. And I, it's not even in my notes, so I'm just trying to think top of my head. But it's a good book on, on trying to learn about maybe your attachment type. Uh, and, and some people, in their anxiety, they will become very dependent. They will become very attached. They will become very anxious. Uh, and, and then there's this other anxiety type where you become detached. You're both anxious. It's not like one is more anxious than the other. 
but I, if, if I'm being honest with you, if I'm being honest with myself, uh, when I read that book, I'm definitely the detached. And, and I don't know about you, and maybe you don't even have to resonate with this attachment type, uh, but oftentimes when we come into struggles and challenges and even decisions that, that is so paralyzing, instead of moving and seeking God and even doing what God says, it's way easier for us just to run away, sweep it under the, the, uh, the rug, pretend it never happened, never talk about it. And you may not be physically running away, but mentally and, faith and spiritually and emotionally, you are doing just that. And when God confronts us with something, we oftentimes run away because running away is much easier than having to enter into what Brene Brown would call the arena. The arena, actually, she stole that from Eisenhower, but the idea is that we we would stay in the arena to fight the good fight, whatever that might look like for you. It's easier to run. Why not? Because in order to stay in the, uh, the arena, in order to grapple and wrestle with what God is saying and to actually faithfully do what God is calling us to do, just requires more vulnerability, requires more humility, requires more trust, more time, essentially more, more, more. And that's what makes it difficult. That's what makes it challenging. And we see in the life of Jonah And we see his own spiritual formation and what I would say, his lack of spiritual formation. Now, I don't want to give away too much. There's there's four chapters. We're going to unpack it each week. Uh, But I would say from the beginning to end, he was one of the misfit prophets, one of the prophets that wasn't obedient. Uh, And actually, to be really honest with you, there was actually no, technically no redemption in the book of Jonah. There's no happily ever after. There's no like, and then Jonah saw the light, and then Jonah praised God, and everything was awesome. We see a glimpse of that, but we don't see Jonah actually transforming. And and actually, I love that about Jonah because that reflects our own lives oftentimes. We run, 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 and oftentimes we don't come back. We just start over. Or we just deal with the mess uh, in subtle ways that you don't even know that you're doing. And so Jonah is an interesting character, and we see not his spiritual formation, but the lack of spiritual formation. We see Jonah running. We see Jonah being swallowed by a big fish. I know that, you know, if you've been around the church for a long time, if you've been around Sunday schools, you you heard about Jonah being swallowed by a big whale. And and to be honest with you, uh, that's only a few verses in all of the entire book. Only a few verses does it talk about Jonah being swallowed by a fish for three days. Now, it's important. We're going to talk about that. But what I really want to say is the majority of the book is about Jonah's disobedience. The whale, the fish, whatever you want to say, that's only a small portion of the book. The larger scope of this book is about his ego. It's about his fear. And it's about something that I want to talk about that we won't get into today, but it's uh, it's really about his ethnocentrism, nationalism, xenophobia, things that you may have not heard in your Sunday school growing up. And so we get the opportunity to, to reframe this, uh, but ultimately what Jonah did was run out of disobedience, out of fear, not necessarily fear uh, uh, of God, but a fear uh, of what God's going to do in and through the people that he despised. The Ninevites. And so we read that uh, 
Jonah was called to speak into the great city of Nineveh, verse 1. And what we have to know about the, the, the word great in the great city is this Hebrew word gedola. And what this means is, it literally means large. So now, when, when the Bible says Jonah was called to a great city, don't think like this awesome, majestic, uh, grandeur city. And, and maybe it was, but the idea of, of this intended purpose is, is saying that the city that Jonah was called to was large, not just in size, but in population. And can you imagine what Jonah is being called to? Go into this great, the large, massive city of Nineveh and speak God's truth that will anger them surely. It was a great city. It was a large city. Nineveh was a capital city of Assyria which was the very nation that conquered the northern kingdom. Remember in Ezekiel, we talked about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We don't have time to talk about that right now, but Jonah was part of the northern kingdom, and Assyria conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and not only conquered them, but took Israelites into captivity to Assyria. In the capital of Assyria, the enemy of Israel was none other than Nineveh. And so put that all into perspective, and you can hear God saying to Jonah, go into that large city, that large, massive, powerful city with an awesome and large and great army, uh, the very army that defeated Israel, where you are from, took your people to captivity, into exile. Now, what I want you to do, Jonah, is I want you to go into that great city. Can you imagine the fear, and, and what I want to unpack more in the following weeks is not just fear, like I'm so scared of Nineveh and Ninevites, it's the sheer hatred that he had for, the, for Nineveh and the people there. He just, he didn't like them. He despised them. They were considered their, Israel's enemies. It was the very nation that conquered them after all. And so what I want to say is as we continue to talk about Jonah and to learn about Jonah, the whole book, first of all, uh, now don't get mad at me when I say this, but the genre, there's different genres in the Bible. There's historical, there's, there's prophets, there's the gospels, uh, there's different genres of writing because uh, I don't know if this is a surprise to you. I hope it's not, but like one person didn't sit down and just like, write the Bible at one time. You, you guys with me? You know that, right? Say yes. Like, nod your head. Give me something. Like, give, like okay. Tell me I did not fail you as a pastor, please. Okay. Uh, the writings have been around for thousands of years, different writers, different purposes, different intentions, different audience. Uh, and so the book of Jonah, many scholars, actually most scholars nowadays, consider this satire. The genre is satire. Uh, and the idea of satire is to be ironic and make puns or jokes, not really jokes, but uh, something that's ironic and funny in order to highlight what is happening to make it look ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying that Jonah, the whole story in one through four didn't happen, all right? So don't send me those emails. I'm not saying it didn't happen, 
because something definitely happened, and so that is why it's important for them to write the satire and the things that are happening in Jonah. There's a reason why it's written. There's a reason why people in the ancient Near East would read this and understand what Jonah is talking about, because it's something like this actually happened. It's kind of like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I don't want to go off, too, off track too much, but the parable of the Good Samaritan was, many scholars would say, it's not actually a, a parable as if it never happened. It was a story that's been circulating and circulating, and so I don't know why they call it a parable, but it's called a parable, but it's something they believe that actually happened. So this is satire, something that actually perhaps happened to some rendition one way or another, but they're highlighting a bigger issue. And, and so if you guys ever been online and seen satire from like The Onion uh, or there's like a, do you know there's like a Christian version of, of The Onion called Babylon B, and it just highlights uh, funny ideas in order to make a big point. And so here's the first one. Youth pastor rocking beanie just in case blizzard hits in middle of July. That's, maybe you got to be in the Christian subculture, but this is hilarious to me because you see a lot of the cool, maybe not even youth pastors, just cool, you know, kids around wearing beans in the middle of July. Uh, and it just emphasizes the ridiculousness, and, and I'm not going to say I've never done it before, but that people would wear beanies in the middle of July. I love this one. In lieu of death penalty, federal government uh, to begin sending criminals on a two-week-long family road trip instead. And so I love my family, but I can resonate with this because I'm like, which one do I choose? Like, it's, it's a tough choice for, for some. And so all that to say uh, is that it's highlighting something that is just so ridiculous of something that's actually happening. So that's what's happening uh, in Jonah. Uh, and the idea is that uh, Jonah called to Nineveh, to Nineveh the quote-unquote bad guys, which we'll see is not all the way true uh, or not the whole story. Uh, and so we get a glimpse of what is happening in Jonah. The only time we other, the only other time we see Jonah is in Second Kings, when when, when Jonah supports uh, the king of Israel, Jeroboam II. Now I don't want to get too nerdy here, but Israel has had centuries and centuries of just terrible kings, uh, and one of many terrible kings was Jeroboam II. Uh, and it says that Jonah was like in favor of him, supporting him and encouraging him and on his side. And, and that kind of gives you a glimpse of the kind of person that Jonah was. Makes you a little bit suspicious of him. And, in fact, Amos, the prophet that everybody loves, comes in the story in Second Kings and, and actually uh, uh, pushes back and actually rebukes Jonah for supporting Jeroboam II. So from the very beginning, you see that there's something to be suspicious about when it comes to Jonah. It's not just that he got swallowed by a whale after three days and he goes back and does God's will. Unfortunately, I wish that was the case, but it just, it just isn't. Jonah highlights a story of our own lives. That's why this is satire, because it forces us to put a mirror up in our face, uh, up to our face and ask, in what ways are we like Jonah, I think for me, it's, it's something like this. Jonah, he gets called to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. Go to that great city where your enemies are, the very enemies that defeated you. Go there and give them the good news that God loves them. Jonah's response, 
ultimately, I don't want to. I don't want to. And again, what we're going to talk about later is not because I don't want to because I'm afraid of them necessarily. I don't want to because they're my enemies. Why would I want my enemies, the people I despise, to experience the same love that I've experienced from you? This is, this is Jonah's attitude. And so what Jonah does is instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to Joppa, hops on a ship, and goes to Tarshish. And I'm saying that correctly. It's not just ellipse. Tarshish. And notice that it's in the Mediterranean Sea. That is essentially ancient Near Eastern civilization. If you want to talk about the world, when the Bible says the word world, the cosmos, the Bible's not actually, most of the time, not actually talking about the entire planet Earth. They're talking about the civilization as they knew it. And so what Jonah does, it says, I'm not going to Nineveh, I'm going to Joppa, and I'm going to Tarshish. Notice that Tarshish is on the way other side of the place that God calls Jonah to be. So, God, so Jonah runs away. Now, notice Tarshish and where it's at. You may not see it because the arrow, but it's in the southern tip of Spain. The southern tip of Spain. Now, you don't have to have ever been to the southern tip of Spain, uh, but could you imagine right, you're right on the Mediterranean? Maybe you've been, maybe you have been there, but maybe you haven't. You are in Spain on the Mediterranean on summer days. Can you imagine how lavish that would be and how exotic and how restful? Maybe you're on the white sandy beaches with not a care in the world. This is what it was like. It was no different in 7th century B.C., that if you can imagine the, the lavishness, the relaxation, the comfort uh, of what southern Spain on the Mediterranean might feel like, you can imagine what Jonah was feeling like. Jonah's like, God, you're calling me to go and love the people I despise, and you're telling me to go into a great city, which, yes, I could be killed. After all, these are the same very people that invaded the nation of Israel and took our people into captivity. So you want me to go there. You want me to do that. A, no thank you. But B, not only does Jonah say no, he goes to the furthest point away and to the most comfortable, the most lavished, the most exotic place that he could probably even think of during that time. I mean, how many of us prefer our comfort zone over the place that God calls us. How, how many of us would rather run, 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 run far from danger? How, how many of us would rather run far from how uncomfortable and how much work that would require to do what God is calling us to do than just to go to a place of comfort in relaxation, like the southern end of Spain. Like the southern end of Spain. I would love to be there. I, and oftentimes I'd rather be there than here. We live in a world where oftentimes sayings like, like uh, you do you, or, or follow your heart, or do what you want, to follow your passion, do what, what you think is right. And I would say oftentimes that's because we've been conditioned not just to do what feels good to us, or what feels right to us, 
but because we want to be comfortable. Remember, it's just another way of, of saying, I don't want to do God's will, but I want to do what's comfortable to me, what's easy for me, the path of least resistance. And it's because our society these days, we've been conditioned to believe that that's normative. And not only is seeking comfort and ease and doing what we want to do is not only normative, but it actually is expected in life. I mean, think about even the way that we communicate with one another. Maybe you've experienced this too, but when's the last time that you've dialed a phone number on your phone to talk to somebody? You know, some of us, maybe recently, I think age demographics might say a lot to that response. But there's times where I will get a missed call. Maybe you guys have done that. I get a missed call, and I'm like, oh, they must have butt dialed me. Right, that's like my very first response, or pocket dialed, so excuse my language. Uh, pocket dialed me, and, and, and sometimes I'll actually call back, and I'll say, hey man, I, I saw that you called, but obviously, you know, you must have accidentally dialed me. And oftentimes the answer is, oh shoot, yeah, I did, sorry. Like, okay, you don't have to say sorry, but that's how weird calling people, it, it is these days. Because all we do is text, it makes it easier. We don't have to actually talk to people. We don't actually have to feel the vibe of the conversation, of the ethos. We don't actually have to be present in the conversation. How many times have you texted with somebody while cooking dinner or uh, maybe some of you, maybe myself, sometimes driving or maybe, you know, in other places? How many times have you been, you know, doing two things, three things, four things at once while trying to be engaged with someone who's talking to you, because it's easier to text. I mean, our, our tech, the technology, I love technology, by the way. I'm not one of those that, like, harp on it. I love it, but sometimes what it's done is to, it, it perpetuates our expectation that things just need to be easy. I mean, the other day, I went grocery shopping on Amazon, and it came to my front door in two hours. It was awesome, and, and, and I'm not going to say that I'll never do it again, because I'll do that a lot. Because I'm expecting comfort. I don't need to go to a grocery store. Why would I go to a grocery store? I want comfort. I'm not going to run to the store, which causes me discomfort. The other day, I was, you know, in my front lawn, and I saw my neighbor take this red envelope to her mailbox, and it said Netflix. And I remember thinking, why in the world, like, do you remember the days, maybe I'm dating myself, where Netflix wasn't available just streaming, okay? It, the way that Netflix was available is you somehow rent it online or something, and then you get the DVD, remember those little round things? You get those in the mail, you watch it, and then you have to send it back. And the worst part of sending it back is before you get another Netflix DVD, you have to wait 24 hours. Like, you have to wait a whole day, and I remember thinking, what has my life come to? Because here's this lady, you know, putting the DVD, and I'm like, why aren't you just streaming it? It's so much easier and so much quicker, and you have just a plethora of just options because I've been so conditioned to expect the easy way, to expect comfort, to expect uh, no waiting. And it's no wonder that we live in such an impatient world. And my point is this. These might be silly examples, but we all have a tendency to run from God for all different types of reasons because it causes more work, more pain. 
I don't know why you run from God. I don't know oftentimes why I run from God, but sometimes it's out of fear. We're scared. We're prideful. We've been hurt. We run because we believe we know, we, like we know better. We run from God because the right thing to do is love people, but we don't want to love people. We want to hate people. What are the ways you are running from God? Is God asking you to forgive somebody in particular? And it's way easier to just run. Why would you forgive them? That takes so much work, so much courage, so much vulnerability. Why would you want to forgive them? It's way easier to just run. Is God asking you to make a change in your relationship, pursue healthier community, healthier relationships? Is God asking you to detach yourself from toxic people? Man, how difficult would that conversation be? It's easier just to run away from that conversation. Heck, it's maybe even easier to run away from that toxic person. But what kind of dignity does that give that person without an honest conversation? Is God asking you to make a, career, a change in your career? And I'm always afraid to say that because sometimes people will say, oh, that's it, I'm quitting my job. I'm not saying to quit your job tomorrow. I'm saying think and pray and to be in tune with the Spirit. Is God actually asking you to make a movement or a shift or a change in your career? But the thought of leaving a comfortable job, a lavish, high-paying job to become a poor pastor, does that scare you? No, just me? Okay. I'm not poor. I mean, I'm not rich. Anyways. Is God asking you, I need to just stop, I need to stick with the script sometimes. <laughs> Is God asking you to love, to love better, to love well, to learn, to build relationships which we'll see that Jonah has failed to do with somebody, with people that are different from you, that think differently than you, that have different family systems than you? different socioeconomics, different ideas of sexuality, different ideas uh, of how to approach racial reconciliation, injustice. Maybe God is asking you to befriend the person that voted differently than you, and these days that is like a lot to ask for. But what if I tell you that God is asking us to do just that? And it's our job to be simply obedient and to listen and to listen well in the ways that we have failed, in the ways that Jonah has failed. Because listening to God changes, changes everything. I remember actually just a couple days ago, I was telling this story to Maria where I went to Safeway. I don't know if you guys are dog owners in here. I'm a dog owner. And there's days where you're a little irresponsible and you forget to get food for the dog. All right? Is that just me? Okay, I know some of you guys have done that for sure. And, and instead of going to the dog store because it's closed, I run to Safeway like at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> Poor dog. Uh, and I have to get these cans of food just to feed her for the night and maybe the next morning. And so I go to the store and I get two cans, one for that evening and one for the next morning. 
And for some reason, this is so weird, and, and if you know me, my, my fault, I would even say deficit fault is that I get really heady about the Bible and my faith. And, and maybe I, I'm very linear, like I like to approach my faith that way. And so when, we, when I talk about and have to engage in the idea of the Holy Spirit and God speaking to my soul, it's real and it's good and I need to be more engaged with it, but it's difficult for me. And so I was at the store, and I had two cans uh, of dog food, and there's something saying, I need to buy a third, third one. And I remember, like, kind of wrestling with myself, like, I don't need a third one. It's going to cost more. Like, why would I need a third one? I'm going to the doctor. I got two, one for night, one for morning. And at the end of the whole conversation with myself and with God, I bought a third can of dog food. I don't know why. I really, I was so confused even purchasing it. So I got in a bag, and I was walking out of the door, and I see this man a homeless man, he, he said he was homeless to me, and, and he had a dog. And I remember thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I should offer this man some dog food for the dog. And, and there's two ways I was fighting God on this. A, I didn't want to buy the extra food because I was cheap. And, and second, I didn't want to go to this person I didn't know to, to say, hey, do you want dog food for your dog? Like, that's just a weird and awkward and weird conversation. So I was going to my car with three cans of food. I don't know why, but I was about to get into my car. And there's something that was just tugging on my spirit that's saying, no, don't, don't, don't get in your car. Go back. So I got out of my car, and I offered this man. I was like, hey, I don't know if this sounds weird or not, but does your dog have food? Like, I would love to give you just this extra can of food for the night. And he says, thank you so much. And he takes it. And, and, and as I was about to leave, he says, you know what? I've been trying to stay sober for a week now. And I was like, oh, I guess we're talking. <laughs> yeah, t- yeah, how's it going? He's like, you know, I sold all my drugs and my paraphernalia to a buddy of mine. And I was like, okay, well, you have to tell me that part, but I'm listening. And it opened up a conversation about this, how this man was just pursuing health, and, and it was just incredible, and, and as much as I thought I was blessing that person, that person with his story of just endurance, of perseverance, of faith of his own right, was teaching me something. We may not know what that looks like, but in our faithfulness, in our obedience of not running but from being engaged, staying in the arena, God has something for you. God has something to grow you, to teach you, to transform you, to heal you, to open up your mind to the ways that God wants to speak. And oftentimes when we run, and this isn't to put pressure on our own goodwill, but when we run, we run, we run, we run away from what God might have something to say and to teach us. So don't run. And I think this verse is so encouraging and oftentimes taken out of context many times, but there's a reality and truth to this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and this comes from the message. It says, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember, all you need to remember is that God will never let you down. God will never let you be pushed past your limits. God will always be there to help you come through it. There's times where it feels like it's hopeless and difficult. And there's no changing. 
and we just want to run. We want to run. The reality is when we run, we miss out what God wants to teach us because in the arena of staying, of being obedient, God has something for you, a better life, a life that is thriving. So don't just follow your heart. Follow God's heart. Follow what God might be saying to you. And Ephesians says, finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And I love these verses paired together because there's nothing that you can't handle. Will it be painful? Yeah. Will it be hard? Yeah. Will, will it require some tears? Probably. There's nothing about our faith that says life will be so dandy and easy and roses. Oftentimes, it makes it more difficult. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But Jesus says, come to me, and I will equip you to have all that you need to endure the things that you need to endure in order for you to learn and to grow, because oftentimes, growth and transformation and hope and forgiveness and healing is on the other side of the pain, of the confusion, of the things that make you want to run. It's on the other side of that. So will you hang tight and not run and to be obedient and to listen to what that next step is for you? And again, it might be a conversation. It might be a change in your work. I don't know, I don't know what that is. But God is calling us for something. So as I finish... I want to give us a couple practices, something that's very practical in our own lives. Number one is this, identify one way you're running from God for the sake of comfort. What is one way that you are running from, from, from Nineveh to Tarshish? What is that one way that you are running? What is that one thing that you're running from? And second, pray for opportunities to practice faithfulness. One thing I know about God, at least this is to me, the, the very thing I want to work on, even the very thing that I'm preaching on, God gives me, thank you, God, opportunities to practice what I'm learning, what I'm being convicted of. And so what is that conviction? Maybe you know it right now. Maybe you need to pray about it. Maybe God needs to convict you throughout the week. But A, what is that one thing that you are running from? that one person you are running from, that one issue that you've been running from for years and years and years. And this week, may God give you, may God give me the opportunity to address that and, and to choose a different way. If my way, my attachment is to just run and run and run, my prayer for myself is, God, in this arena, I don't want to run. I don't want to run. I want to be faithful to what you're asking me to do because I know that you've equipped me to endure with your spirit. I'm going to invite the worship team back up and maybe uh, as the worship team leads us into worship, you can sing along. You can pray these prayers of practice. You can ask God for help. You can ask God to reveal. You can ask God to forgive. But may we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit is saying to us. Let's pray. God, thank you. 
<laughs> Thank you for the trials in our lives. Lord, it gives us an opportunity to trust you and not run away from you. And many times we run away from you, and so forgive us for that. Because when we run away from you, we're running away from your blessings. We're running away from the lessons of life. We're running away from knowing about our own selves and how to love you and how to love others. But God, may we stay in the arena knowing that you equip us to endure, to give, to love. And that is the process of spiritual formation. May we be formed in the arena because on the other side of the arena, it's glory. It's heaven on earth.